David Hyatt, founder of Howie's The Do Lectures and Hyatt Denim. David has always been leagues ahead of his time. And what a conversation that was. It really spoke to me for so many reasons. But I think what grabbed my heart was his understanding of human connection, where he speaks about 18 inches between our heart and our mind, and that only a few brands understand how to connect. And it was one of those moments I realized I have so much to learn and how wonderful it was that I am a student to all these incredible founders such as David. You're going to need your tissues for the letter. Let that just be a warning. Enjoy. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table and since then I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. Here are my conversations of inspiration. David, what a pleasure it is to meet you. Finally, I have been doing a summer clear out of all my books. And I just want to let you know that the do books have a completely separate shelf in my home office now, (laughs) because I have so many of them. But it is an amazing moment to be actually speaking to the person who invented them. My pleasure. And I mean, I mean, all credit to Miranda because she went and run the Do Book Company. I, I just had maybe the initial idea, but I helped her and, and she run with it. And so good kudos to her, really. Now, life's been a little long lately, hasn't it? 18 months of this pandemic. I keep seeing these wonderful photos on your Instagram from your farm in Wales, and it looks like a pretty idyllic place. And you've just mentioned you're trying to get in the sea every day. So how has it been? I mean, Claire would argue, my, Claire's my wife, she said, you've been in isolation for years. So what, what is actually <laughs> currently new? Um, so I come down to my little shed, I write a little bit, and then you know, I, I maybe pop down to work if I'm a good boy. So, I mean, the last 18 months, obviously, like trying to keep businesses going is a, a challenge. I know everybody has had different challenges. I think founders have had their own challenge too. I think, you know, they've probably furloughed pretty much everyone except themselves. Um, so they probably do more work with more stress and, mm-hmm. and less hours. So um, I'm sort of, you know, like those marathon runners and you see them, it's obviously their first marathon and the last hundred yards, they're literally doing the last hundred yards on their knees and hands, but they're going to get <laughs> over the line because they this is their first marathon. Yeah, I felt like I got there at Christmas time and I limped like a wet yep. lettuce over the line, and uh, <laughs> I just thought, "Wow, that was a that was a particular year." Um, and I know everybody else has had their 
their things. So I'm, I'm very conscious of that. So, uh, but how have you found then this year? Because I, I sort Actually, of, I sort of thought it's a little bit like you know when you think oh, next year, and you realise it's just one sleep from one year to another, and you sort of realise nothing's actually changed. You know, do, have you felt this year has changed for you? I'll be honest. I thought this year was going to be much easier, and like actually mm-hmm. coming out of lockdown has actually been harder. Um, I mean, because mm. you know, for that moment, extraordinary moment, you had people's attention and, you know, they were very, uh, for a better word, captive because mm-hmm. they were held captive in their own home. But coming out of it has been perhaps a bigger challenge for businesses, I think. And I think not sure many people are really truly talking about that. I, yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting thing. I'd like to return to that as it sort of settles. Um, if we go right back to your beginning, though, you have a strong affinity with Wales because I read the village that you actually grew up in had one pub, one newsagent, one butcher. And from a young age, you were a curious child you had these posters on your wall that were big sporting brands, Nike, Adidas. But actually, you had this fascination with the actual brands themselves. It, was it because it was glamorous and it was sort of bigger than your little town? Or what was it about that? You know, when why do people have hobbies and they're doing things that no one's paying them to do, but they have mm-hmm. a fascination for it. I had this fascination for obviously football, sports, all things, and, and I just noticed these brands, and, and I didn't know they were called a brand at that point. It was just kind of like, oh, that's a company. But I think they got me. And this is going to sound really dumb, but they sent me stickers, and then I started putting stickers on the wall. I'm going, oh, that's cool. <laughs> um, Apple still give a sticker, even if you spend three thousand pounds on a laptop, you still get a sticker. A sticker yes. is like, it's the one retail space. Like if you put a sticker on the back of your laptop, that's the retail space that you can't buy. Mm. That is the power of a brand. So I just got into it and more and more into it. And, I, and then they sent me posters. My entire bedroom, apart from the windows and the door handles, were covered in posters. And I'm including the ceiling. <laughs> I was like, wow. I was so into it. What did mum think? Was she all right with She's that? She's just gone, oh, it's just gone through a phase. <laughs> uh, what she didn't know is the difficult phase from like, from almost birth to like death is kind of like <laughs> a, that phase. <laughs> so from an early age then, you had this understanding. You didn't know what it was called, you know, brand. You didn't know what that was. But you understood it made you feel something and it yes. connected you. Do you think there is a magic ingredient that you see in some brands that you don't see in others? Yes. Some brands make you feel something and they take you on a journey that you want to go on. They want to change something that is important to you. They become a little bit or a little part of you is them. And you are in that tribe. And it's an incredible thing because people don't give their attachment to many things, you know, whether it's a, mm-hmm. they're probably only going to have one sports team. They're probably mostly only going to have one partner. But in terms of brands, they'll have a few, but they have to mean something. 
And, and I think the most special ones make you feel something, not just buy something. I think that's just, oh, the, the relationship called a long card number. And if you flip the card, there's a short number. And that's not the relationship most, well, most brands are after that relationship, but there's some brands, they take you from this journey from like your, your head to your heart. It's only 18 inches, but most brands never, ever take you there. And it's extraordinary when they do. And why don't, why don't, when, in this day and age, our marketing teams or directors or boards or founders, why aren't they waking up to that emotional connection? The best brands are run by humans, but most brands are run by boards, committees, and, and that's a pretty tough gig. And if I give you the example, because I know this example well, is Adidas was the biggest sports brand in the world. This Young upstart Nike started with, they were on their knees for 10 years, had no money, like had no huge big investors, but they could communicate and actually make you feel something about sport. Sport happens to be deeply emotional. And so they wanted to talk to your heart and, and Adidas wanted to talk to your head, logic. Mostly, when you're building a brand, emotion is much more powerful than logic. Do you think it's a superpower that actually small businesses could harness by very nature in an easier way than big businesses? Yes. Because if you think about it, you don't have to go and do a research group. You don't have to go and convince the board. Mm. You don't have to like go and play politics to get 10 people to your way of thinking. You're like a speedboat and they're an ocean liner. And so they take an awful long time to turn around and you're a speedboat. And it's almost a duty for small, you know, like little, you know, one man, two man, you know, two women band, you know, companies to, to be emotional. And you think, oh, you have a disadvantage because you're small. You have an advantage because you're small. Your obsession and this sort of understanding then grew into something. It grew into more. And I read that your father encouraged you when you were still very young to go for things. Tell me about that story. Well, I mean, at 16, I sort of, I was doing, I don't know, A-levels. I persuaded my mum and dad that actually, you know, education really wasn't for me. And my dad lent me 500 pounds and because I wanted to go and start the next sports brand. And what, what I was doing is I was selling you know, like Nike seconds and Adidas seconds on a market stall. And then at that same time, like the coal miners went on strike and suddenly all my customers had no money. Mm. Within about, I don't know, five, six months, I was out of business. I'd lost all my dad's money. And he said, well, that's very effective, very efficient in time. <laughs> um, but um, he said, what, what did you learn? I said, I, I learned, I loved it. He said, well, probably your next learning is to get good at it so you can keep doing what you love. Wow, what a lesson. Well, you, you entered advertising after that and you worked with some of the biggest names in the country. And I know this experience had this direct impact on your decision to start your first business, Howie's. Tell me about that. Well, it was kind of interesting. I mean, I ended up at 21. Been, I'd been thrown out of college. I'd been bankrupt, thrown out of college. And I got a job after a year and a half on the dole, uh, which was pretty tough. Um, you know, there's only so much beans on toast you can eat. And 
I got a job at Saatchi Saatchi, and at the time, it was the world's most creative advertising agency by awards. And yeah, you know, 21, couldn't spell, thought a colon was a disease, thought a semicolon was a complication <laughs> of that disease. And I found myself in the most creative department in the entire planet. Wow, yes. And, and I didn't have all the qualifications that every else had, but I had one qualification, and it was I was mm. pretty darn hungry. So after about seven or eight years, our chairman, and who's no longer with us, uh, Louis Dreyfus, he decided that he was going to go and buy Adidas. He was already going out with, I don't know, Kim Bassinger. He wore jeans and he smoked cigars. And I'm going, oh, my God, he's like literally my superhero. I was like, what? Adidas is like my, that's what I came in the business for. And I I spent six months trying to pitch for it in terms of uh, at Saatchi's. And, but what I didn't know is like Charles and Morris had fallen out with Louis Dravis over something. Mm. And so we didn't win the business. And I was like, wow, that was a surefire win for us. I mean, and so the week after I resigned, I took a £20,000 pay cut to go and win work for the agency that did win it. And because I was just going, well, I just want to, that's all I want to do. So I kind of, uh, I went to this agency and, and he didn't really like me. He didn't really want to hire me. He wanted to hire my mate. And I'm going, oh, okay. And so I, I wrote stuff for about a year and a half and I no, he would not buy anything I did. And the only time we actually got some work through was when he went on holiday and, and Adidas went, well, we love all this stuff because I'd found this voice and it wasn't Nike's voice. And, and my boss said he didn't understand that you have to have a different voice. He thought he had to have the same voice as Nike. And I'm going, we're never going to win by trying to be a pale imitation of Nike. Mm. We have to find our own voice. So eventually I left that agency because I'm going, well, this is ridiculous. I mean, I can't get any work through. Um, and I actually went to work for the company that owned this small company. And I took all those ads with me. And those ads became Howie's. Do you think naivety had a role to play in this? Because, you know, you, you took sort of what you had created and you thought, right, I'm going to do this, you know, myself you probably gain confidence, obviously, through your work. Sure. Um, but uh, there is this thing, isn't there, about naivety? And I spoke to a couple of guests about it. That, And maybe actually with starting Holly & Co after Not in the High Street, I found it more difficult to get to the place that I was in when I was 28 and didn't even realise that eBay and Amazon were the only other marketplaces and I was about to create the third. I, I mean, if I had, if I'd known that, I would be out. That would, that's for sure. Were you naive at that time? Oh, completely. I mean, and, and to make it worse, we wouldn't hire anybody unless they hadn't done it before. So we were like, like the motliest of crews. <laughs> you just go and like, it was the blind hiring the blind. And you just go, oh my God. It was, I mean, I even hired somebody because they were hitching a lift. <laughs> And I'm going, oh, what are you doing then? And you're going, oh, I'm not doing anything. Well, you should come and join us. We don't know what we're doing. You should join us. It was, it was very experimental, but it was the naivety of what do you mean you're going to go and start the world's best brand? I mean, that was, that was my mission. Every time I drove past it with the young kids, going, there goes the best brand in the world. And we were on that mission. And, but interestingly, when we, we decided we were growing so fast that, we had to go and get some money at some point. 
And we went out there into the big, you know, wide world that's super naive. And, and the interesting thing is all these amazing people wanted to talk to us. And that was unexpected. So, you know, Steve Case, who started AOL, wanted, you know, to go and invest $25 million if we moved to California. The problem is we just moved to Cardigan. And we've gone, <laughs> gosh, a hell of a commute. Um, but we had... You know, the Japan's richest guy wanted to buy it. And we had uh, PPR, who are now called Karen, but they owned, you know, small brands like Gucci, Yves Laurent, and Puma. And we did all this stuff without a marketing budget, but we were completely naive. Tell, tell me, just to tell me why these people were so interested in you, because were your sales ridiculous? Or did they see that genius that you'd put down? And they were buying into what you had hoped was going to be bought into before. Do you know what I mean? Like, were you onto something? Yeah, I think we saw really early the importance of trying to run a brand in a low impact way. We were one of the first companies in the world, along with Patagonia, to do organic cotton. I mean, most people were trying to get heads around organic milk at the time. You go, oh, that's mm. never going to take off. Um, <laughs> and And so we were really on the, that cutting edge. We were five, maybe 10 years early. Yeah, you but were. But I think that the smart money went, hey, they are early and they're pretty raw and they definitely don't know what they're doing, but the market is probably going to go there and maybe we could place a bet on them. I read that, um, you know, you, you said to yourself, you asked yourself the question, can a company exist in this world right now that seeks to make you think about the world you live in and then try to sell you something. I mean, that is a pretty forward-thinking question at that point in time. Now, I would say people listening, I speak all about it, we're fingers crossed going to get our B Corp certification Amazing. in a few months' time. It's taken a long time to get it. But, you know, this is where we're heading. But that's now. I mean, this 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 was a very forward-thinking question. I can see they were all trying to get in before you became big. What where, what made you so brave to ask yourself that question? And it, was it your instinct? Because it certainly, am I right in saying you didn't have this big company doing loads of research and knew it was the future? I just looked around and I just didn't think there were that many companies asking really good questions. Mm. I'm not a great consumer. I love books, but I'm, apart from that, I'm a really poor consumer. I'm really bad for the economy from that point of view. I just, and I, and I just saw all this consumption and throwaway culture. Even that was pretty early, but I was just going, oh my God, it's like, how can we do this? And, 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 you know, and we did it five years. I didn't know about Patagonia for five years. And, and my mate said to me, he said, you, you're pretty much like Patagonia. And I, and I did went on their website and I'm going, we're nothing like Patagonia. They're way better than us. Mm. Um, but, you know, we're, we're pretty interesting. But we started doing stuff with Patagonia and I wrote a, uh, my m most boring piece of copy was a journey f of a carrot, get this, a carrot from Poland <laughs> all the way to Cardigan, every turn, every left turn, every right turn, every roundabout. I did the entire piece it was the most boring ever piece of copy I've written. And I've written a, quite a few bits of boring <laughs> copy, I can tell you. And that inspired Patagonia to do their Footprint Chronicles. Wow. 
I didn't know that. I was just going, oh, it's really cool. They send me all these jackets and it's nice. But um, So we were really, our website was so far ahead and it, it inspired Patagonia. So we were really pushing the, the boat out pretty early. Yeah, I mean, you were pioneering and, and you were one of these, you know, first companies also to have a blog, tell the story. You 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 helped yeah. build this community. Your brand was connected um, and you were making uh, noise about the how of what you were doing uh, sure. and making products and selling them, saying it's two sides of the same coin is how we sell as important as what we make to go back to your first question and i will answer the second one is um the blog was really interesting because we had uh, these guys out of st martin's and that's the joy of being in london you can surround yourself with really interesting people who at that time weren't desperate in lots of money and matt and george built our website and they went to uh, some convention in america and they came back and said the future's blogs i'm going i never heard the word before never heard it and i'm going what's what a are blog? you pitching yeah I'm it's going, not a great a blog? word is it and he, and he said generally... it's basically how companies are going to talk to their customers in the future i said all right okay we had one next week we were one of the first yeah. brands in europe to yeah. have one. and the interesting thing for us was it became the keyhole for yeah, how everybody looked into the company. And we talked about not just the good things, about the hell we were going through to try and run a business, especially in our naive, you know, <laughs> uh, complex state. And and that actually built the community. Mm. And I, yes, I think going back to your second question is how people do things. Well, there's two things. The why is incredibly important, but how they do things in terms of low impact or are they messing things up or don't they actually truly care? The how becomes important. Mm. And you can't divorce the how and the why, but they're both important. As you're listening to this episode, I'm so glad you found your way to Conversations of Inspiration and I hope you've taken some wisdom from it. Keep listening. It gets even better. Every week, we explore the highest highs and the lowest of lows of some of the nation's favourite founders, creatives and entrepreneurs as they share their stories with me. Having recorded over 130 episodes, there are so many incredible guests to choose from, every one of them sharing their experiences, advice and my most anticipated part of each episode, a letter to their younger self. If you're not sure where to start, head to holly.co, where you can browse all our back catalogue by collection. There are buckets of podcasts you can choose from, such as Business as a Force for Good, to Female Founders, or perhaps hearing stories from those with dyslexia. Needless to say, this unique library has changed my life completely, and I'm positive it will have the same effect on you. Now, let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. I'm just listening. I'm just sitting here enjoying this thoroughly, by the way, just sitting, absorbing everything that you're saying. And I'm actually thinking about how um, many founders I know actually started in advertising. I, it's just yeah. like, like I'm just uh, I'm, I'm thinking about actually how underrated that sort of uh, ability or that 
being brought up and and what you learn it's quite incredible lots of things I'm thinking actually um tell me about the do lectures because you know this this is an for those who don't know an annual event that you began hosting in 2007 and it's basically the meeting of some of the most progressive minds on the planet the doers and the disruptors uh tackling every subject under the sun uh challenging considering their own journeys and i just yeah it, it's amazing what gave you the confidence to go ahead and do that it wasn't by design and there was no like business plan written it was you know patagonia invited me to to their um they have a camp every 2 years and and it's like a help you put your voice out there about you know it's it's like a, a catalyst for change and only 80 people in the world ever get invited every 2 years and it's not filmed and they kind of um, invited me. And at the time, I was knee deep up into the hellish of trying to run a business that was A, grown too fast. And, and I didn't actually know that there was a brake pedal. And actually, the brake pedal would have actually calmed things down. But I had my foot stuck on the accelerator pedal. <laughs> but that small detail aside, I just went, oh, don't worry, I'll watch their boot camp on, online. And they said, oh, they, they didn't actually record the knowledge. And I'm going, oh, that's a shame because I'd love to, mm. you know, like be a part of that knowledge. I, I'm, I'm a hungry learner. And it was at the time when TED wasn't a, a thing. Mm-hmm. Like people don't understand, like TED happened the first time and then didn't happen for six years because it was such a monumental disaster in terms of finances. Um, and But then somebody went, hey, I think still think it's a good idea. Maybe <laughs> we could make it work. So there wasn't like a, oh, let's go and start an event. Let's go and do a conference. They was going, should we just do one? And we actually called it um, Little Big Voices. And we taught people how to do this thing that nobody had ever heard of, Twitter. And we were building people's websites at the event. It was just fantastic and an absolute mess. But brilliant because of it. And people yeah. were talking about... You know, building brands, you know, about purpose. And, you know, at the time, nobody really talked about anything. So it was really early days. And we came away and we asked people to sign something and say, like, should we do this again? No, please say no. So then I'd have to go and do it. And then, and then the other sign was, please say yes. Yes, this is really important. We should carry on doing it. And not one person said no. Right. And I just go, oh, God, here we go. Um, there's more <laughs> stuff to do. The, the, the beauty, as you well know, is like when people go, oh, you should go and do it. They say you should go and yeah, do it. Yeah, I know. Exactly. And I've learned only now in my, at 44 to say, no, 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 I think you should do it, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I, exactly. I go I right back to it. them. Exactly. Yeah. I always get, end up being the person that they say, you should do that. Yeah, and you I'm thinking, should yeah, spend yeah, all your brilliant, energy. And your... Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so they didn't say you shouldn't do it. So you no. you did do it. So we well actually we let it sort of sit there for a little while, and then a friend who also works in advertising, Tony Davidson, who is a real true maverick, um, uh, and he was creative director of Wine and Candy for many decades. Um, he sent us a text, and he said, "Don't just stand there, do something, dick dastardly," mm. and. And I'm, we're having dinner, me and Claire. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. 
So we, <laughs> then, so you, he was like a chance. You go, well, right. We're not just going to run a clothing company. We're going to have an event as well. And that we're going to change the world. And I mean, obviously it was a couple of glasses in and it felt like a good idea. And uh, so then we took the, the do something and we turned that into the do lectures. And that's how, mm. you know, it, it came about. And we used the earth tax money from Howie's to go and fund it. And it was really hard actually, because like all the speakers going, well, show us your website. You go, we haven't actually got one. Um, you go, how many speakers have you had before? You go, never done one before. Um, you go, are we going to get paid? You go, I'm going to money. Um, so it was a, it was a bit of a hard slog, to be honest. Um, the first couple of years trying to sell tickets, but it's sort of the interesting thing is if you don't quit on things that you care about in the end, not at the beginning and not in the middle, in the end, they turn into something. I love you saying that. That actually brings tears to my eyes. Is it, it, it do you believe that? when you put in your soul yes. and your heart and your energy, yes. it ends up happening. I think customers are really smart. Yeah. And I think they can, they have bullshit detectors like never before. And I think the kids now, oh my God, they just don't even give you a second. Mm-hmm. They give you a half a second, then you're out. But mm. I think people can tell instinctively when you care and love something and it's really important to you you can go into a restaurant have not read any review and you can within a nanosecond go there's love here Mm. i can tell it i can feel it and it's energy love is energy i just yeah that really warms my heart after a long week you know that's such Mm. a good thing to say the event now that smart idea, you know, about viewing it. Well, it's been viewed millions of times now. Mm. Um, hundreds and of millions of times. Hundred, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And it's about as far from a conference as anything oh, yeah. could be. It's in a rustic, rugged surrounding. I know that the location for you was really important and I loved its um, juxtaposition. You know, I, I, I just, you know, it's why you inspire me so much. Tell me about why the location was important. Conference centers are pretty easy to get to. That's why they exist in large cities. And But they're also pretty easy to leave mm. and uh, emotionally. And, you know, like it's now on the, the farm and it's in an old cow shed. And the cow shed isn't beautiful. Is The cow sheds are a hard life. But it's honest and it's true. And it, it does something to speakers and it convinces them in very little time that they should do a talk here that they care about. Mm. Not the perfect talk, not the talk they always do, but as a human that they should share with other humans. And it's incredible. And I've never, I've been to lots of conferences, I've been to lots of events, and, and I try to go with an open mind because I got, oh, I shouldn't really compare because we're in a cow shed in West Wales and no one can beat us. But the thing for small gatherings can change things. And, uh, and I think we've taken a misstep where we think everything that really matters happens at scale and it doesn't. And, and, and that's why I think the small high street is going to have its most important period because the future of business models is community. 
And we found that out in COVID. The butchers delivered to us. The bakers mm -hmm. delivered to us. They stood by us and we're going to stand by them. And, and uh, yes. And you I'm assuming you and your wife, you as a team, when you sit in those, um, in the cow shed listening, you must go on an adventure in your mind as well. Like not only so sodding proud that you're doing it but as you said I just can almost picture that feeling of the rawness almost the speakers go to a raw place potentially too and um and, and what you must have learned over these years David I mean it must be extraordinary it's good for people to know that it's not easy mm. you know the first five years that they do we couldn't sell tickets mm -hmm. and then we were selling tickets that were it seemed to be quite expensive but were costing us much more Doing so, and if you think about Burning Man, it was 12 people for half a decade turning up and when no one else did. And these things that you do in the end are really easy. And it's quite easy for us to go, oh, we won't do another two lectures again because no one really is throwing a party each year on your own farm is a stress because what if the weather doesn't turn up? Mm hmm. <laughs> yeah, what if the speakers don't turn up? What if the attendees don't turn up? What if it's not as good as last year? So, but the important work that you do isn't easy. And one of the biggest gifts you can give to your ideas to, is to not quit on them. And and that you know grit and that determination. And doing something that you deeply care about matters because that's in the end, you're not going to like go, go and count all your money that you made. You're going to go, how many people did you help? Mm. You know, how many people want to go to your funeral? <laughs> Doing yeah. like how many people yeah. will actually get on a plane to go to your funeral because actually you help them. And yeah. that. You know, that, you know, I think we've taken missteps. I think businesses have taken missteps and it's okay. We've only messed it up for a hundred years. We can put it right. How important do you think it is then? I mean, you know, a lot of people listening to this podcast are small businesses, they're founders or they're dreamers. They're people who potentially don't believe that they can change the world. Um, one of the things I try and and when I say the world, it doesn't have to be the huge, you know, the big world. It can be your own world. It can be your high street. It could be your community. If you believe that the the power is in small, in 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 those people, people who can connect emotionally, how important is it that we challenge the story of who we are, you know, and what we can do and what we can become? And how can we get that confidence to actually think, no, I I am the one who's going to do it? I think, I mean, an awful lot of us, and, and you know, we, we tell ourselves a, a narrative that's not true. Oh, we could never write a book. Oh, we could never go and start a business. We could never make a difference. And it's actually not true. And I think sometimes we have to get over that fear of we can make a difference. Maybe we're not going to go and change the entire world, but we could change a little bit of our world. And and I think sometimes people go to overwhelm because they try and do too much. And and I think if you just fall in love with the incremental, where I could try and do something a little bit better than what's out there already, and, and then tomorrow I can go in again and, and maybe see if I can go and push it forward. 
I think you've got to fall in love with that journey. Mm-hmm. And, and it's okay. Do you mean, and you just go, it's okay to just keep sticking at it and trying to get better. And, you know, the, the bakers and the butchers in our town made a big difference. Mm-hmm. Like, we, you know, we were all like going, oh my God, what are we going to do? And no, they figured they it out. Uh, yeah. They were there. And, and all the, the big companies were still figuring it out. And yeah, so I, I just think that thing of don't tell yourself a false narrative. You know, the words that you say to yourself over time become your story. But you are the author of that story and you can do some quick editing <laughs> you go, well, if I, 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 maybe I could write a book. I never wanted to write a book. <laughs> We're talking of books, the do books, which are just oh, yeah. phenomenal. We stocked them at Holly & Co., all of them. Cool. Huge fans, um, uh, have nearly all of them. They are quite incredible. What gave you the idea to do these, it's little books written by different people? I mean, I've just not seen this before. And I, and again, for me, it was a little bit like having the non-conference in a cow shed. This was breaking down books in a different way. Well, I mean, there's a slight backstory to this. I mean, when I lo- left uh, Howie's, I just thought, right, okay, I can't actually start anything for a year, so I- I'll go and have a bit of fun. And I-, I hired one of the best guys at Howie's and persuaded him to come to the cow shed, me and him, for a year, and we'd go and start a book company because... We thought like the iPad revolution was happening and, and we thought actually people are going to consume information in perhaps a different way, maybe a bit shorter, a bit more, you know, um, you know, you know sort of soundbite, et cetera, way. But after about a year, we both turned around to each other and we'd done all these, uh, we set out the, you know, it's all going to, you know, all these different books, you know, these different knowledge centers, and then there was going to be the inspirationals. And then we turned around and we said, we don't know anything about the book industry at all, do we? And and John went, we really don't. And I'm going, man, we just spent a year like f- like working out that we don't actually know anything about it. And then the next Tuesday, Miranda, uh, who I didn't know at the time, she phoned up and said, have you ever thought about starting a book company? I'm going, I'll send you the PDF. And she was ex-Penguin. So she really did know about the book yeah. industry. And I, I said, look, I don't want to start another, I don't know anything about this business at all. I'm happy if you send us a royalty for each book and we, and the rule is, you know, you can only write a book if you've done a talk at the do. I'm good. I'll go and start something I do know about, which is maybe Jean's company. <laughs> I'm going to talk about that. It's just absolutely fantastic. So she ran with the idea. Oh, completely. And you know, yeah. we don't have any shares in it. We have a royalty. Um, it's my, my it's my favorite investment in terms of, mm. I have one conversation with her a month. She said, what do you think about this? I've gone, I don't know. Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. And she's amazing. Yeah. The relationship is amazing. The books are amazing. And I've only got to do one phone call a, like a month. And then every three months I get a royalty check. I'm going... <laughs> I love that business. <laughs> this is a I business model. Those businesses. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, an even funnier story. I had a, a, a consultation with uh, Greg Bunch from Chicago Booth um, University, 
And, and he, he went through our business and gave us some advice. And do you know what his advice was? Find more Mirandas. <laughs> I'm going, I got it. <laughs> I literally, if I really want to work amazingly, find more Mirandas. The solution to everything is there must be more Mirandas in the there world. There must be a hashtag more Mirandas. Yeah, yeah. In your book about purpose and passion, talk to me about just this point that you make, which I've never heard before, which was about these two types of passion that you refer to. Um, you describe it as hot and cold passion. So just talk to me about what that is, because I, I just, I've loved learning about it. I mean, it's an important dis distinction because I think, especially for entrepreneurs when they're starting out, they're very, there's hot passion. And you could almost compare it to lust, where it's very mm. strong, it's intense, and, and you feel it uh, with all your heart. But it kind of fades and it burns out. And and I think a lot of entrepreneurs have that hot passion that they're going to go and change the world. And then all of a sudden the hot passion cools and they sort of fall out of love with it. Mm. And at that point where you're, you know, the hot passion doesn't really communicate with the, the brain and the, you know, and the heart. It's all from the heart. But to be a really amazing entrepreneur is you have to open up that conversation between the head and the heart. Um, that's when you are a really interesting entrepreneur. And so like cold passion is really love and it's long lasting and, and it's easy to fall in love. And then, you know, like being married 28 years is you got to love someone even when they're not doing something you really like. You just yeah. go, that's love. And you just go, man, it's like, and and love is about working at something pretty much every day. And you have to invest in that relationship every day. Mm. And it's your entire life. And you don't fall out of love of that love because that is your love. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, the cold passion is you allowing the conversation between the head and the heart. And I think that is where you are an extraordinary entrepreneur when that conversation flows. So a lot of people ask me about when, where to start. You know, they want to find something. They want to start a business. They, 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 they desperately want to get out of whatever they're doing, their nine to five, they can't bear. And I talk to them about their passions. You know, I, I, I talk to them and maybe that's where the hot, hot you know, what you're talking about, this hot passion um, is. Um, where, what do you say to people who are trying to find what they should stick at? I mean, I see a lot of businesses start and not many finish. And and so if you say to yourself, are, are you willing to do this for 5,000 days? Are you willing to do this for 10,000 days? And people got to understand that the overnight successes are actually probably a decade yeah. of going through it. And, and and people don't want to know that. They just want to know, oh, this company's blown up. It's amazing. You go, I mean, my girls are really into a company called Pangaea. But when you start to do research on them, they spent 10 years researching. What, what, what is Pangaea? It's a clothing company. And and all the young kids, are, you know, started in 2018. You know, they, you know, the $75 million business now. Oh, my gosh. And But people look at the figures and go, oh, that's just an overnight success. They've blown up. You go, you know, spent 10 years in labs, boring labs. 
There's no yes. interest in labs. You, know, yes. you have to wear a hairnet for 10 years. So, oh. <laughs> you talk about you went on to... You weren't in hairnets and, you know, but it is in, in, in material. You wanted to think about doing one thing well, which I know um, you do with Hyatt Denham. Um, it's a very deliberate and clever strategy. Again, on this wonderful podcast where you're teaching us a lot or sharing your knowledge with us, um, what made you want to do that? What made you, again, ask that question that you almost asked with Howie's, you know, what made you ask that question? Well, there was a moment in Howie's. I, we spent two days looking through, you know, on a range meeting. And I, and I closed my eyes and I couldn't remember a single garment. Mm. And, and we, you know, we did some things, you know, particularly well at Howie's, don't get me wrong, but it was just like there was just too much mm-hmm. and, it, and it lacked focus. And... And actually, when you think about it, to do one thing extraordinarily well is an act of doing many, many things well. And so, you know, to make a pair of jeans is 75 different processes. And you only have to be world class at 75 of them. So, <laughs> so it's kind of like to do one thing well is an extraordinary undertaking for a human being to go and commit to. And I just thought, why can't we just be the best jeans maker in the world? How tough is that? Well, we have people who've done 50,000 hours and, and we are humble enough to know that each day we come in and learn how to get better. It's an extraordinary act. Does it cut down that noise, allowing you to have this focus, which is, is, is quite a privilege? Yeah, I think to be really super narrow on your product is really interesting. Um, and we spent an entire year on one women's fit. And I remember going, you know, when I'm looking at the sales, I go, can't we just launch? I'm going, no, it's not quite ready. I'm going, when's it ready? <laughs> like, can we just launch? Um, but they wouldn't like launch it until they were ready and happy and it got, got signed off. And so it, it is really interesting that you suddenly, you know, we're never going to do bubble caps. We're never going to do Hyatt perfume, the older, <laughs> older success. Um, True blue. Um, and so it, it doesn't narrow the thing going, well, I think being a specialist in a generalist world is pretty interesting. Yeah, I I, I love that. We have a badge um, that's hand embroidered and it's a heart and it has the word nerd in it because we love the fact that the nerd is back, you know, to yeah, actually yeah. be the one that has every book and is absorbed in completely the history and the future and becoming that expert. I think that that is such a great thing to talk about. And and what I also love is that when you talk about, the, you know, this jean brand, you know, it was in a manufacturing town of Cardigan. So tell me about what started first. Was it sort of the knowing the history of Cardigan, which I'd love you to tell us about, or was it the opportunity of doing one thing very well? Or was it that perfect little storm that happened that then created the idea? Yeah, I mean, it was, I sort of wrote a, a plan to do the jeans company. And and I was feeling a bit burnt and broken after Howie's, if I'm being honest. And uh, I felt like we half completed our mission. 
And um, I put the plan aside for a year. And I just didn't have the desire to go and do it. Then I had a phone call one day and and he was the ex-designer and he said, why aren't you doing it? And he said, or I said, I said, I wasn't sure why I wanted to run around the same track twice. I don't know why I want to do that. And he said, well, Dave, it's not really about you. It's about your town. And if you don't do it, those skills will mm. not be passed on to the next generation. So the maker town stops making. And, and at that point, that was like a bolt of lightning going through me. And I went, oh, it's not about me. It's about my town. I could run around that track for the town. Mm. And I think sometimes your purpose is not really about you. It's, you've got to yeah. find something much bigger than you. Because your town, Cardigan, was, you know, it used to make, is that right, 35,000 pairs of jeans a week before the factory closed. And this is, this is where you, crea you know, created this opportunity so that those experts, those people who had trained and understood it better than anybody could do it again. And that knowledge wasn't lost. And, and it's, it's that story that you now tell you know, story and we've, you know, coming full circle in this conversation is thus brand and that emotional connection. You've been able to weave that through all of your businesses. And I talk a lot about story and I talk a lot about the importance and how often people don't tell it. You know, they just don't talk about it. How, how have you known? Is it because of your experience you've known that this is super, super important? Every great brand is a story and every great brand tells its story so another human being connects with the story and it's interesting for a lot of small businesses they think they don't have to keep telling their story and I'm I'm there going I tell the same story pretty much every day and I never get bored and you go I, I, I literally start the conversation my town is making jeans again and they go, oh, and 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 stories are powerful, and and great brands are great storytellers, and and yes. that's and that's how information gets shared, and and it always has been shared that way, huh? Yeah. That's what people did around the campfires. That's how. Yeah. That's that that is yeah. the human way. Yeah, I'll tell you a conversation about uh, with Claudio, and he told me this story, and it was. He said that he was worried that he would never have anybody to you know, teach his skills to. And he had been cutting jeans for 40, close to 50 years. He started when he was 14. He said, I thought I'd take my skills to the grave. Mm. And now he's teaching his son in the factory how to cut jeans. Gosh. Gosh. Again, tears in my eyes, like, that is something. <laughs> oh, my heart swells for you that you've done this. You must be, I know you wouldn't say you're proud of yourself, but, you know, proud. This is, this is great stuff. This is, I really hope that people are listening 
understanding and taking out of this conversation some of these really, really important points. I could absolutely just, not that you would want to, but I could capture you and just talk to you all day long and just sit with your books and the lecture and the sit in your jeans and whatever it is. It's just been absolutely awesome. I end this podcast talking about the fact that on my journey, <laughs> it has been one hell of a roller coaster. And that's what it is, building a business. If you were to say what one of your lowest moments in the roller coaster of what you've built has been, what would you say it has? It was? I, I think the lowest point was us selling Howie's. And we'd exchanged something we deeply cared about for stuff that we didn't call money. And... And I think you've got to understand how valuable your independence is because, and I, I felt sad because we'd half completed the mission and I thought we had so much to go and it was clear to me that actually it was just going to be mothballed and that was a heartbreaker. How did you recover? I went running with a dog. Dog got a bit tired. Um, I didn't sleep too well for a, a while. And I was pretty, I didn't blame anybody. I, I wasn't angry with anybody else other than myself. I was just going, why didn't I have the confidence to follow through? I didn't actually need anybody else. Mm -hmm. I had enough. Um, and I, and I, I sort of bottled it. And I, I just made the distinction that I'm going, well, given the chance again, I won't be bottling it. Oh. Gosh, it's like, how many times am I going to well up in this? <laughs> I haven't got to the letter yet. And conversely, your greatest high, what would you say? Yeah, we started high at Denim and uh, the landlord wouldn't paint the floor. And I said, we're going to go and start one of the world's best jeans companies in the world. The most famous people in the world are going to wear our <laughs> jeans um, you know, camera crews are going to come to this factory and you won't paint the fucking floor. <laughs> so I went and spent 400 quid on floor paint next day and we all painted the floor together. And we all became a team at that point. Oh, I can barely get to the next bit and asking you <laughs> to read your letter. Oh, okay. Um, really phenomenal. Just um, super touched my heart, this conversation for many, many reasons. Um, thank you. Can I ask, um, I don't know what you're going to say, but I know you've prepared something to your younger self um, and it would be an honour to hear it, David. It might be a little bit long, so you can edit wherever you feel you know free what? to. As the rate this podcast is going, it can go on for, you okay. know, we can have six o'clock drinks okay. together. So... This is a letter to myself. Poor grades at school doesn't make you a poor thinker. It just means you didn't remember the things that weren't important to you. Don't worry. Uh, learning will begin when the school bell rings for the last time and it's never going to stop. People who talk a lot often, often say very little. Confidence is often misplaced. Judge people by the quality of thinking, not the volume of their words. Remember, being quiet is okay. Being an introvert is okay. Being shy is okay. 
And sure, it's good to talk, but only through your mouth. Stop worrying about what other people think. You remember that time when your dad dropped you off at school in his old beaten up car and you were cringing because the cool kids might see you? You are going to regret that. The cool kids are generally the least brave. They're all obsessed with fitting in. Um, but in time, you will learn not to fit in. Find something that looks like work to others, but play to you. That will allow you to get good at it. You will repeatedly be told you are as stubborn as a mule while growing up. You might think that is a bad thing. Later on, you will realize that all your successes came from sticking at it. It's not a race. Don't be in such a hurry to achieve that you forget to enjoy the ride. The destination is seldom as fun as getting there. There are no shortcuts. Do the work. Keep doing it. Do something meaningful. Just takes time. Be a long-term thinker in a short-term world. Hang out with optimists. Even if things don't work out, it's still going to be more fun. If you have to sell your time, make sure you are learning. Once you have the knowledge, leave. Be yourself. It's going to take a daily practice, but no one else will ever, ever be able to be as good as you, as being you. So. <clears throat> Take a second. <laughs> oh, just, oh, sorry. Just really has got to me. <laughs> you know what? It's, trust you being able to write like that. What a beautiful, beautiful set of words and a letter to oh. yourself. And um, every single word spoke to my complete soul just then. And um, I knew this was going to be an amazing podcast. I knew it because of everything you've done. Me stalking you, putting your picture on my wall in the podcast pot for years. But um, it's going to stay with me forever. Bless you. Oh, thank thank you. you for sharing such amazing stuff. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode with David, I'd love to suggest listening to my conversation with Sir John Timpson, founder of Timpsons. You can find John's interview by searching Conversations of Inspiration wherever you get your podcasts. And if we've helped or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support really does mean the world to me. It helps spread the word and will inspire more people to build a life they love. And for all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co.